Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Hey, you're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. I'm James Patterson. I write a lot of books, probably too many books. I was in advertising, but I've been clean for over 25 years. (laughs) And I'm David Greiner. I'm the international editor with Adweek. So excited to have James Patterson here, best-selling author. Uh, I believe uh, last I heard uh, you had sold 400 million copies. I'm sure if I refreshed, we sold 10 since then. Yeah. And it is such an honor to have you on the show. We're here to talk today about your memoir coming June 6th. The memoir is called James Patterson by James Patterson, Stories of My Life. Uh, it's it's an interesting time in your career to write a memoir. Uh-huh. Uh, what made you decide uh, of all the of all fiction and all the work you've done? COVID made me do it. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, I was, I was locked in this office that you can see behind me, and my wife basically locks me in here from 7 in the morning till 6 at night seven days a week. She's a greedy little woman. And uh, uh, so I had a lot of, a lot more time on my hands. And I, I started writing down the stories. And, and, and the memoir, it's, it's just nothing but stories, uh, which I think makes it a little different than, than most. Uh, and um, I, I think engaging. And we've been lucky that the people who've read it so far really are, you know, they've said really, really, really nice, ridiculously nice things. So, uh, yeah. Well, I'm sure most of our listeners know that you, as you mentioned, got your start in advertising. We will be talking about that, of course. Almost got finished, is... but I got out. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, definitely want to hear some of your stories, your memories, uh, just the way you look back on your time in that industry. But first, I want to go a little farther back uh, because I think something that uh, certainly my kids have have noticed and appreciated, and I've always appreciated too, is that you've uh, created several books around middle school. Yeah. And they always have a bit of uh, of darkness to them. They're not these super happy-go-lucky. Uh, there's always optimism there, but you frame it in a way that I think a lot of kids, including my children, really appreciate, whether it's uh, you know middle school, the worst years of my life, or I Funny. Uh, t- tell me a, a little bit about your middle school experience and, and kind of how you approach those kinds of things. I don't think it was so much my middle school experience other than, I mean, I talked to kids the way I would talk to adults. Um, and we brought up, our, our son is now 24, but when he was younger, he wasn't a big reader. He's a bright kid, but he wasn't a huge reader. 
And so I wanted to write some books that, that he would find funny and interesting and credible and whatever. Um, and, and that's what kind of got me going. And, you know, middle school, the worst years of my life, obviously, that's a little bit of an exaggeration. But, you know, kids can identify with that. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Worse than yeah, the best. For, yeah, I think when you, you know, there's nothing really interesting about a character who's perfect at everything and successful at everything when you're, <laughs> especially these days, when you're just struggling to get by. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the comic book heroes kind of put the lie to that one. But, uh, yeah, but I, I agree with you. Absolutely. So tell us about how you first got your break in advertising. I realized as we were getting on the show that for uh, all the all the pieces I've read about you over the years, we've had you on the cover of Adweek just a few years ago. Uh, I don't actually know how you got your first break in advertising. So so how did that come about? Uh, somebody knew somebody at J. Walter Thompson, and they gave me an interview, and they said, you got to write it, put a portfolio together. I had no interest in advertising, no knowledge of it. Still don't have no interest in it and still have no knowledge about it. Um, and uh, so I went back. I was in this little hotel, the Washington Jefferson Hotel, which I think is there. And and the room I was in, it was so weird. I mentioned this in the autobiography. The, the room was about, I don't know, six by nine or something like that. And there was wallpaper and very high ceilings, about 12 foot high ceilings. You know, so thousands and thousands of these little pentagons in the wallpaper. And somebody had penciled an X into every pentagon and all the wallpaper in the room. So I said, I got to get the hell out of here. I got to get a job. And um, I went, I tried to get a job as a cabbie. And I, at, at the time I had long hair and stuff. And the cabbie, the, the, the guy who ran the little, we sort of like Danny DeVito. And he chased me out of the place. I'd never hire you, you hippie bastard, you know. And um, so I went for an interview at, at Thompson. And, you know, and, and they said, put this book together. So I went back to this hotel room. And six days later, I put together a portfolio. I know that that's not the way it's done anymore. Uh, no training, no marketing, no advertising training at all. And uh, for some godforsaken reason, they hired me. And actually, I remember the first day because I got to Thompson and I, I was at the elevator bank and I went to get into the elevator. And right across me was a guy who was the creative director who had hired me. He was in the elevator. And I paused for a second and the elevator hit me in the head. So that was my my welcoming to J. Walter Thompson. So, I mean, I think when most people think of former ad people who become writers, become artists, there's this maybe an implication that, you know, that that they weren't it wasn't doing it for them to be in advertising. You were very successful in advertising. You you worked your way yeah. all the way up to CEO. Well, you know, I, I was doing it and then I was writing books on the side. And honestly, it was working okay and I didn't want to mess it up. Um, and then at a certain point, um, I, I, I the, the guy who ran, uh, Burt Manning ran the whole company. I ran and wound up running North America. And he says what I said to him. I says, I can't afford to, 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 to work for Jay Walter anymore because I was doing so well with the books. I don't know if I said that or not. Uh, but at a certain point, actually, there's a piece in the book. Uh, it's just a short piece. And I, 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 I was a Sunday and I was down in the Jersey show. It was a beautiful day. But I had to go back to, to, to advertising and go back to Thompson. It was a, a Sunday. And uh, the way it goes, an hour and a half after I left the shore, after I left the Jersey Shore, I was still trapped in bumper-to-bumper traffic, the turnpike parking lot thing, cars moving at 10 miles an hour. On the other side of the road, it's a true story, and it really was a big moment for me. On the other side of the road, an occasional car went whizzing by, whoosh, maybe one car every 15 seconds, whoosh, 
whoosh, whoosh. And I sat there mildly pissed that I was going back to New York, absorbing this very obvious life lesson for about an hour. Then I finally got it. The lesson was simple and so very clear. Why hadn't I seen it before? My mission in life had to be to get on the other side of that highway, to get in the traffic lane that was moving. My life was going in the wrong direction. I swear to God, that insight, that miserable time trapped on the Jersey Turnpike drove me out of advertising. I focused on writing novels and I made my mission to try and find somebody who would love me and who I would love back. Whoosh, whoosh. So there was my, you know, this incredible moment. It was just, I was trapped. I'm, I'm looking at the other side of the road and I said, damn it, I, I need to, I'm going the wrong way. I'm going the wrong way. So that's, uh, and that's, and it's hard for people to break these habits. You know, I was making a good living uh, and there were things about it that I liked and things about it that I didn't like, like Martin Sorrell. Um, But, uh, you know, it was time. It's time to go. So I'm sure this is one of the top questions you get from folks, not just in advertising, but in any, any businesses. Uh, How do you, how do you know when it's time to quit your day job? You obviously, I would say we're kind of, most people seem like they've got one foot out the door. (laughs) To yeah. begin with, you you obviously stuck around quite a bit. When yeah. people ask that, what's your advice on how to know when to leave? You know, a lot of it is uh, you, you got to deal with reality. I mean, if something's, you know, sometimes, it, as I said, I, it should have been very obvious to me that I, that I needed to get out of there. What was holding me was once I got in a position to hire people, I only hired one kind of person, talented and nice to be around. So there were a lot of nice people there. Um, what I didn't like about it was clients because <laughs> they don't listen to you. Uh, uh, so I didn't like that. And I love the idea with the book world. I mean, I'm, I'm, the, I'm it. I write this, what I want to write and I don't really have any clients, uh, to, to help or get in the way, whichever it might be. I have an editor and they tend to help. They want to help, uh, have an agent and they tend to want to help. So, uh, you know, I, I was just ready. And what I didn't want to leave, I didn't want to leave a lot of the people that I work with who I liked a lot. And um, occasionally you'd go out and you'd make a nice little movie, a 15 second or 30 second movie, and that could be okay too. So the, I guess that the other question, maybe to back up one step before you're ready to leave your day job, is I feel like every writer I know, every copywriter especially, uh, wants to write a book has, if not one, multiple ideas for books. Uh, I may or may not be including myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can, I can but, hear it, David. I can hear it. <laughs> but how do, you, how do you get started or how do you get, more importantly, how do you get serious about writing I think if, you're, if you really want to write that kind of stuff, you can't help yourself. I couldn't. It's just the passion is just too strong. And, um, you know, the first, I was very lucky. The first book that I, that I wrote, a Thomas Berriman number, this is, I was 26, it got turned down by 31 publishers. Then it, it got published by Little Brown, and it won an Edgar as the best first novel that year. So here's a book that gets turned down by 31 publishers, and, and then it wins this big award. So I think, you know, part of it, though, is I, I think if you want to do it, you just have to. You know, I, uh, I worked my way through college at, at a mental hospital in Massachusetts, and uh, it was an interesting place. Uh, uh, James Taylor was there, which I write about in the book. Uh, he was a patient, and 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 Robert Lowell, the poet, he used to stop in there quite a lot. Of, so I got to listen to James Taylor and Robert Lowell for free, which was pretty cool. 
And 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 I think Taylor was around 19, at the, right, right around my age. And uh, he had already written Fire and Rain and Sweet Baby James. And you just sit, you sit in a coffee shop and he would he would sing for everybody. You know, he, at that point, he was nobody. Um, but I was writing uh, at nights. And, and I, I somebody said, you're lucky if you find something you like to do, really love to do. And then it's a miracle if somebody will pay you to do it. So that was my deal. You know, I, I found something that I love to do. I love to write, you know, even ads, you know, up to a point. And, uh, 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 and then and, and, and somebody would pay me to do it. And the problem with the advertising is you couldn't, the stuff that you really liked uh, wouldn't necessarily get bought. Like, this is a bit of a joke, but uh, uh, my, my favorite ad line was, that I wrote was Schlitz. Remember Schlitz beer? Mm, Schlitz shits with a Z. What do you think? Memorable, right? <laughs> I love it. All right. We're going to take a quick break, and then we'll be right back with James Patterson. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just a thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming, to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. All right, we're back. Uh, Continuing our conversation with James Patterson. Did you have a moment where you realized, and maybe this is tied to deciding when to leave, but but realizing I'm successful? I mean, is it when you win that that first Edgar Prize with your first book? Um, is it? Do you ever get there? Is is there some number where you really said, "Oh, I'm actually doing this is going really well for me"? I don't know. I, I, I the successful thing doesn't really mean that much to me. I don't think of, I've never really thought about it. I don't think of my one of the the, the things that I'm that I'm fortunate about. I grew up up the river and up the Hudson River in Newburgh, New York, small town, uh, tough little town, and um, you know, I I'm I still look at the world. Uh, like a kid from Newburgh, New York. So you know, I've, I've done a couple of books with President Clinton. And that's like, I, you know, shit, are you kidding me? <laughs> I'm doing books with President Clinton. I just did a, a novel with Dolly Parton. Same thing. You know, I get to go on stuff on Ad Week or whatever. It's just, it's a kick. Uh, I enjoy it. Um, I don't, you know, I don't work for a living. I play for a living. And, uh, you know, it's just, I'm very fortunate. It's so... Uh, 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 and, and, and very fortunate to be, I don't get, 
I don't think about successful. It's just not part of my deal. I sell a lot of books. I probably write too many books, uh, but I but I like it. The uh, do you do you feel like that advertising really did? I, I've seen you. You've commented on this before, but I'm really curious to hear more about it. Whether that time in advertising really helped fuel the marketing behind your books, and that you were able to really get involved. Or, I mean, were you, were you really helping shape that strategy? I, I don't think about strategies in marketing. It's just not my, it's not my gig. I, uh, 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 in terms of the books, I want to write about stuff that I find interesting, stories that I think I would want to read. Um, and then I do think a little bit about, well, would other people want to read it? And that's kind of it. You know, like I, I wrote a, a nonfiction about John Lennon. I, I'm really interested in John Lennon. And uh, I actually, I was living on Central Park West when he got shot. I was on 63rd Street and I went up there that night. So I was outside the Dakota, you know, the night he was shot. I was in the crowd in Central Park uh, when they did that big memorial and they held up the sign, why? It was a big, you know, sheet that they hung up that just said why. And weirdly, I'm in Florida now. And our house is attached by a bridge to another obnoxiously large house. But Lennon and, and Yoko Ono, they owned that and they used, they used to live there. So I had all these connections and I just, I just felt like writing about Lennon and, and I did. Um, so it's just, it's passion for me. I don't really think about the marketing stuff. I mean, I will sometimes if I, if I, if I sit down and write a bunch of ads for the books, which I'd prefer not to do. But I do it anyway. I mean, I'll go in and I'll write ten ads and go into the studio and do ten ads in in, in ninety minutes, and I'm done. <laughs> That's do, it. Do you stay on top of the ad industry no. and, and how it's changed, or no, you just have no, to have no. It behind you? I wasn't that interested when I was doing it, and I'm really not interested <laughs> now. You know, you see some stuff. I mean, you know, uh, I don't know if it's my favorite. Probably my favorite is I think it's E Trade, where they got that like three or four year old kid. And he's, they sort of pretend like he's a retired Navy SEAL or something. And, and they come to him and, and they tell him, you know, the, the trouble that people are having with their finances. And he's not interested. And then they say something to him. He says, uh, I'll get my onesies. Uh, 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 you know, I love that. You know, I don't know if it's good. I like the progressive. I think it's progressive where the guy lectures uh, all those people about acting like their parents. And That's the stop, yeah, which is very, very funny. Yeah. Um, you know, I, that's the extent of my ad watching at this point is just that I'll be watching something and stuff comes on. A lot of it, I go like, I, I don't get it. I don't know why somebody's spending money on that, but you know, whatever. <laughs> you and all of us. James. I just watched it and I still, I don't remember who did it or why they did it or, you know, whatever. So at any rate, but no, I, I really don't. But I never was into that. And, and, you know, people will write about this stuff. I always think about marketing. I don't, I really don't think about marketing at all. Um, I just think about, you know, would I, would I be interested? I know a certain number of people like to write, mis read mysteries. So they're out there and I like to read mysteries. And what I like that one are the kids books you mentioned. And, you know, I was a kid, Jack, I still, you know, have a sense of, of being a kid and, and would a kid like this? And I have a, an imprint, actually a kid's imprint at, at Little Brown called Jimmy. And our mission, it's a really simple mission, but I think it's smart. When a kid finishes the Jimmy book, they'll say, please give me another book. As opposed to, I don't like books, uh, which is the enemy. And there are millions of kids in this country who have never read a book that they liked, you know, which, which says a lot about schools and stuff because they keep feeding them the stuff that, that, that's turning kids off, which is ridiculous. Why would you do that? If your objective 
is to get kids to read well. Why would you give them stuff that's contrary to your objective? It makes no sense to me. Yeah. At any rate. Yeah. I'm still surprised how liberating it felt when I finally got out of college and I was just reading for fun. Uh-huh, and, uh-huh. and you can just enjoy it and you can read anything and you can I read agree. classics and enjoy them or you can stop reading them if you don't enjoy it. I agree. <laughs> so, you know, my the best course I ever took, I went to Vanderbilt for graduate school and I approached a professor there and uh, I said, listen, here's what I'd like to do. There's about 30 novels I've been dying to read. And and why don't we just, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're game, We'll pick out like 15 of them. And he'd read several of them anyway. And we'll just talk about them. So twice a week, we would we would sit down at a local bar and shoot the shit about, you know, one of these novels. And, you know, because it was graduate school, you could do stuff like that. You know, just get a professor who you kind of liked. Um, uh, but even if it was a, with 100 kids, you could do that. You just say, look, you guys are going to read what you're going to read. And I'm going to talk ge- generally about novels. Um, and, and we'll figure out how, how we deal with grades and all that eventually. But kids would love that, you know, reading, yeah, you, know, you know, pick out 10 novels that you've been dying to read or, or, you know, 20 plays or, you know, the complete works of three poets, whatever the heck it is. And you read those. I'm going to trust you to do it. And I'll, I'll, I'll test you on the other stuff and you know, we'll see how it works. I worked at a Barnes and Noble for several years, uh-huh. and uh, you know the first thing you tell tell kids when they come in, or parents that are looking for things, is what are you interested in? What, what do you love? Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. and then that's where you start. I always thought that was such a great starting point. Versus like, here's what you should read. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You so, don't, so let's you don't talk know about, me, teacher. <laughs> let, let's talk about TV and film adaptations because I I think that's such a a fascinating thing to imagine. And I know I'm sure there are many authors who are, are very hands off with that process and just yeah. say, whatever, y'all wing it. Um, but for you, you've done several, I, I think more recently, you've had uh, Zoo and Instinct and several uh, works that have been adapted for TV series. How's that process been of being involved yeah, with, it's uh, not with great. TV? It's not great. The, the attitude about, for the most part, about novelists out there is not terrific. Uh, I remember when we, you know, it's funny, people talk about, well, because I co write sometimes. And uh, uh, I went on, I went in the writer's room for Zoo, and here's like nine writers. All right. You talk about co-writing, you know, and uh, and everybody was nice. It was sort of funny, whatever, blah, 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 blah. And uh, uh, but the showrunner felt compelled to say, he said, you know, James, you know, I mean, let's face it. Zoo's a B novel, but trust me, we're going to do an A plus series. You know what? <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, I just kind of laughed or whatever. Unfortunately, they did not do an A-plus series. but And I knew they wouldn't because it needed to be a feature because it's just too – on the budgets for network television, I knew they couldn't do it because it, yeah, it, it requires – such an ambitious concept. You really yeah. had to produce that one. It had to be bigger than what they could do on $3 million a show or whatever the hell it was. It just And they yeah. did a decent job with it, but you just can't do that. Um, the kids thing, I did uh, middle school, the worst years of my life. I was I was pretty involved in that production, and I thought that turned out reasonably well. And, you know, now they're a little bit more. I was involved, you know, we did the Jeffrey Epstein thing on Netflix, uh, Filthy Rich, um, and they involved me in that a bit. Uh, and we got a bunch. Of, uh, Amazon is, is just greenlit an Alice Cross series, so that'll be interesting. So, I, you know, it's a mixed bag out there. It's uh, I would never write a Hollywood novel, but if I did, I have my first line. Hello, I lied. You know, so uh, (laughs) it it is what it is. It's not they're bad people. It's just that there's a certain there's a lot of fear in the air. People are always afraid they're going to get fired, make the wrong mistake or whatever. 
And and the writers in particular just feel they have to fight you, fight you, fight you, because they're so used to having to fight for everything, uh, every word, every, you know, because they're, it's like, cut it, get the writer in here, rewrite, you know, what? <laughs> nothing wrong with this script. <laughs> well, the way you're describing it, it sounds like uh, almost literally the opposite of what you were saying you loved about getting into writing novels. It's yes. getting to have this, it this uh, canvas that you could control completely. The tragedy is that I love movies. I'm addicted to them. I love, you know, a lot of the series on you know whatever netflix and you know so so i'm dying to to have something that i where i go like you know what i'm really like michael connelly uh, is a good friend of mine he writes a lot of novels and uh he's he had one bad movie weirdly pr- directed by uh, clint eastwood um but 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 then he he has now um uh lincoln lawyer which was a good pretty good movie and now the series is pretty good and he has bosch so he's been really lucky, and that pisses me off because I like movies more than he does, and you know, but whatever. So, uh, but but it's yeah, it is what it is. Any other uh, stories as you were writing it, when you when you sat down to write the memoir? Was it that you felt like you already had a mental list of stories, or did some just kind of percolate to the surface as you were writing the other? Um, sometimes they would percolate to the to the surface as I was writing a chapter, and I would add. And I was writing about, uh, I, I went to a, you know, like a uh, Catholic high school and whatever, and uh, I was writing about you know, being in New York City. Uh, I went to also a Catholic undergraduate at Manhattan College. I started writing about Manhattan College, and I remembered this story about the way it was at Catholic high school. And people don't believe this stuff. You know, they go like, no, come on, seriously. We had a brother for, for, uh, for I think it was so- sophomore and junior year, for science and math. So we had him twice a, twice a day. And he would come in, and every class he'd come in and go, gentlemen, uh, and I use the term loosely, uh, anybody that doesn't have their homework, please stand. And for the most part, I, w- I was not a, a, a masochist, so I mostly would have my homework. But let's say I didn't. He'd come up to me and go, James, yes, brother, do you know what's going to happen now? Yes, brother. Uh, and he would swing from, he was a big guy, 6'3", boom, right across the face. And then he'd go to the next kid, like Bob Hatfield, my, my friend. And, and, and Happy would say something like, brother, you can skip the preliminaries, just hit me. You know? And that was, you know, at any rate, that popped up in the middle of, of a chapter that I was actually going to write about, about being in college in New York. So it was a little bit of, you know, you, you never knew for sure. Uh, um, and I would add stuff sometimes that, you know, and advertising stories. There was a guy, uh, and I guess this has to do with, I don't know, whatever whatever skill set I had that, that made me... Uh, fairly successful in advertising but there was an account guy there very funny southern guy and he couldn't stand me at first because he i was relatively young and i was running a lot of stuff and and uh yeah you have to be relatively sure about what you're doing there and the track record was good and uh, he just found me to be kind of cocky but after a while he had the line he said if patterson says a grasshopper can pull a plow hitch up that little motherfucker (laughs) which is (laughs) Yeah, whatever. And uh, yeah, once again, you're not going to file anybody blindly. But the general thing was like, you know, trust within reason, uh, this guy's instincts, at least about because, you know, the difficulty of a lot of people cannot look at this storyboard or this piece of paper, whoever they present now and see the movie, you know, and sometimes it, it does require some trust. That, you know, no, 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 this is going to be funny and we really know what we're doing. And, you know, let me go through it again and try to get you to see what's going to happen when it's a film. Um, uh, but for some clients, it required a lot of trust. And now I, I imagine it's harder than ever because, you know, 
people see so many movies, they all think they're experts. So, mm. so that makes it, I think, even harder. Probably. Do, do you have any? Uh, maybe this is uh, this sounds too lofty. Uh, maybe uh, based on the way you've described it so far. But do you have any goals for or hopes for the memoir in the sense of what it leaves people? Yeah, with? I'm hoping for the other Pulitzer Nobel Prize. Uh, <laughs> probably not going to happen. No, you know, the great thing about about what's happening here, I don't know these people, but, you know, like Ron Howard said that the book was addictive. And there's a guy, uh, Bill McRaven, Admiral McRaven, he ran the Navy SEALs and then he ran um, the uh, University of Texas uh, university system. And he's written a couple of books like Make Your Bed, which has sold about three million copies. And he said it was the most entertaining book that he had read in 50 years, which is and, and that's the kind of we're getting stuff like Hillary Clinton and Howard and Patricia Cornwall compared it to a movable feast, which I find to be a little over the top, but I'll take it. <laughs> Bob Woodward, you know, who's wonderful and I admire him. I don't know. Him, but he said, I felt I was interviewing Patterson under the highest permissible dose of sodium pentothal, the truth serum <laughs> for hours. And he spilled the whole story of his truly astonishing life, you know, which was, I mean, it's like cool shit. And, and for the most part, I, I think people will really enjoy it. And people are just going like, what's good? I think people will like this. I mean, occasionally people go, it's not my cup of tea and I don't, that's fine. Uh, but it is tea. Uh, and I think it is, I think for writers, I think they'll really get a kick out of it. Uh, and I think creatives in general, because it's about the creative process. It's about, you know, I did a book with Dolly Parton and Dolly, you know, I really hit it off extreme, extremely well. We're really good friends now. And I think a piece of it is she came from the hills of Tennessee, family of 12 or whatever. And she went to Nashville. She was a million to one shot. I came to New York. I was a million to one shot. We get it, you know, and, and, and the, the, the book we wrote, uh, Run Rose Run, a novel, which has just been bought for the movies. And part of the fun about the book is it's a million to one shot. And, and, and the woman in the book has all the talent in the world. She's young and she's on the run from something. You don't know what it is, but you don't know. You can, you can be really talented. It just doesn't work out for some crazy reason. Well, the memoir is called James Patterson on James Patterson, uh, the stories of my life. Uh, James Patterson, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you so much. It's been nice visiting advertising. And uh, now I'm going to leave again. <laughs> Well, thank you so much for your time. All right. Be good. And thank you for listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. It's part of the Adweek Podcast Network and the ACAST Creator Network. This episode was produced by Al Manorino and edited by Lane McGivney at Beltwell Studios. You can listen and subscribe to all of Adweek's podcasts by visiting adweek.com slash podcasts. That's adweek.com slash podcasts. Stay up to date on all things in the Adweek Podcast Network by following us on Twitter at at Adweek Podcast. That's at Adweek Podcasts. Uh, and you can send us a note, question, comment, thoughts, anytime at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we'll be back next week. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, 
and get 10% off your plan.